A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Where your dreams, episode three. You know, if you are persistent, you dig deep enough, you pick something you're passionate about, it's very possible for you to change your career and change your life. Hey dreamers, you are listening to Wear Your Dreams, an amazingly inspiring podcast where we speak to the coolest girl millionaires, girl bosses and fashion entrepreneurs. If you have ever dreamed of creating your own business, then this podcast will give you all the tips, advice and inspiration to make it happen. Lego. Hey everyone, welcome to Wear Your Dreams. I'm Alice Aluiton, founder of Bemi, and today I have a very special guest. I'm talking to Dr. Jude Miller-Burke. Now, Jude is a business psychologist, executive coach, and self-made millionaire. She's the author of The Millionaire Mystique, How Working Women Become Wealthy, and You Can Too, and has co-published the study, Pathways to Career and Leadership Success. She's a national speaker and currently has her own business called JAMB Consulting. Jude, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alice. I appreciate the invitation. Awesome. Now, I'm so glad you're joining us today. And I've said a very short intro about you. So could you tell us a bit more about you as Jude Burke and explain a bit more about your business? Certainly. Uh, I grew up in rural Minnesota and went into the field of psychology, which I'm very passionate about, and worked in nonprofit settings in a crisis center and then also as a domestic violence therapist for several years. Went on to work at Honeywell for 10 years as their employee assistant psychologist, managed their wellness programs, um, some disability programs, and then went on to United Healthcare and we built the Optum program, which was 24-hour a day, call a registered um, nurse or psychologist. Um, so Jude, I'm really interested in finding about your journey to becoming a self-made millionaire. So we are going to dive straight into it. So tell me, Jude, how did you make your first million? Well, I have to say it wasn't my original intention to make money. And that is part of why I go out and speak to groups and a lot of women's groups, young women, and encourage them to think about it. Because I, to be honest, kind of bumbled along and I was very lucky several times over. And I did work very hard. Many times I had two or three jobs and paid my way through several different college degrees. Um, but I wanted to get the word out that you do need to think about it specifically. And I don't think anyone chooses the field of psychology to make money. But what happened is I was working at the nonprofit crisis center and the psychologist came from Honeywell and she was looking for a postgraduate intern. And I had just finished my first master's degree and several of us interviewed. And probably because I was the program director, I secured the position. 
Mm. And so I started working at Honeywell very part-time, and that was my introduction into the corporate world. And unbeknownst to me, of course, the for-profit community had much better benefits, um, profit sharing, stock options. And so I spent the next 20 years in corporate America and then eventually started my own business. And so... I'm quite interested to find out, because I know you said you kind of juggled two or three jobs, you sort of paid for your college degrees. What was it that kind of drew you into, you know, going into Honeywell? What were the the things that happened that made you think, hmm, you know, perhaps it's time for a shift? Well, the shift was I had been in the nonprofit world for about nine years, and uh, with Honeywell, they were looking for someone that was actually a licensed psychologist. So it would be my first job providing, we didn't really call it therapy in those days, we called it employee assistant services, but essentially it was a brief therapy model where we do assessments and critical incidents, stress debriefings, managerial training, but it was a big step to actually uh, provide assessments and brief counseling for mm-hmm. a group of people. And I love the field of psychology and really had started out in college and business and also then went into accounting. And finally, one day, one of my professors said, you would be a great psychologist. Why don't you come down to our local crisis center and volunteer your time? And so I started doing that when I was only 19 years old and then eventually became a trainer of counselors and got a paid position at the nonprofit center. And then um, a lot of my positions have followed volunteer experiences or internships. I believe in them very much and really encourage people who are pursuing careers to get that practical experience. Any kind of job experience I think is very helpful, but of course, if you can get volunteer experience or an internship in the specific area where you want to practice and what you want to do, I think that really is the best. Mm. Um, I really kind of want to go back to where you spoke about there were times where you kind of had two to three jobs, you know, that is very hard working. There's, it's a lot mentally to kind of go through two to three jobs at one given time. What was it that you think, um, you know, mentally helped you get through those times where you had to really push a lot harder than the kind of average person? What do you think the, the mentality was? Well, like so many of the men and women I studied, um, I didn't really have anything to fall back on. My parents were 18 years old when they got married, Polish Catholic family. They proceeded to have five kids right away. And so they never had the opportunity to go to college. But somehow I got the message very clearly that it was an important thing to do. And Women in that generation, my mother's generation, they really didn't have a lot of options. They were really very stuck. And so my mom told me, all of us, all of my sisters and myself, very often, um, she would say, have a career, make your own money. Have a career, make your own money. Because she was a wonderful mother, and she still is. Um, But again, like I said, she didn't have the opportunity to go to college and have a career. Um, So I was very persistent. And what I learned from my parents, they had their own business and uh, it became very, very successful after I went off to college, but it was industriousness and conscientiousness, Mm. a very hardworking family. And a lot of the characteristics that I found with the people that I researched along with my own parents was industriousness, conscientiousness, which is that being dependable, following through, um, taking appropriate risks, 
creating own jobs, creating your own business at times if that's appropriate, having a good business plan, um, and having a lot of integrity and being kind and building a network in the community, not only where you have business contacts, but also where you give back. So they are very embedded in their community. Mm. And so in many ways, even though, you know, they didn't go to college, um, at the same time, I got some very basic skills about you do what you have to do to get ahead. And you also treat people well. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Jude. Um, And so now we're going to go into the next question. Um, I know from experience that when pursuing a dream, especially as an entrepreneur, there can be some really low and tough moments. And these moments can bring doubt, they can bring fear, and perhaps lead women especially to kind of give up on the dream. So I really want you to tell a story of your lowest point as an entrepreneur, and really explain kind of how you rose out of it? Well, a few different times come to mind. Um, Mm -hmm. One was when we started the Optum program at United Health Group, and we were working 60-hour work weeks for, um, you know, several years, actually, and there was a core team. And I did work with absolutely wonderful people at Optum, but there were times where I was um, learning to go out and do sales calls, national sales presentations, and we were trying to secure our first contracts you know, to keep the division growing because basically, you know, we had nothing. We were starting with nothing but waste baskets in our offices. And so that was really a time where I really bonded together with my teammates and really just worked a night and day to make it happen. But I think an example that maybe your um, listening audience might resonate to is for so many of us women, it's really difficult to integrate work and family. And so I had worked in corporate America for many, many years, and I had my children. Um, I got pregnant when I was in my late 30s. And so I was I had my twins when I was 41 years of age, which I would not necessarily recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's what happened with me. And so I, I quit working the big corporate jobs and was working part time and became an executive coach and did leadership assessments and some presentations. And then at some point, I decided I wanted to do research. And so essentially, I was changing my career. I had done research in the past, but I wanted to do research again. And I had been from, as I mentioned, from rural Minnesota Mm -hmm. and had moved to a wealthy suburb, Phoenix, Arizona. And people were driving Mercedes and they had big homes. And, you know, it was really quite a culture shock. But over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, the men and the women would tell me about their impoverished backgrounds. Many of them were from poverty. Many, many of them had been uh, verbally and physically abused as kids. And I was really struck by, there's a story here. How did these people get from here over to this, you know, very wealthy affluent suburb? What, What were the characteristics that made them successful? So I decided to do a research project and, and people were, questioning, well, what are you doing? You know, why, why are you doing that? You've already had your career. Now you have your children. Now why, why do you want to continue working? Which I thought was very odd, but it was a very traditional sexist community. Mm-hmm. And I was going to Harvard on the weekends to get my continuing education credits for, uh, to continue to be a psychologist and went to a publishing conference, presented my concept in front of a couple hundred medical doctors and human resources people Now, remember, essentially, I had been uh, working part-time, so I'd been home quite a bit with the kids. Mm. 
Mm. And I stood up in front of this group of people and told them my idea, my idea. And uh, several publishing organizations and a couple of agents were interested in my work. Once I signed with an agent, um, uh, she basically said, I recommend that you wait three years until you build a platform. I thought you had a much bigger platform. And I said, no, I, you know, I told you that I'd been working part time and that I was raising children. And so you need to wait at least three years. I said, no, I mean, somewhere inside myself, I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not waiting three years to try to get a book published. And so eventually found a publisher after many, many beautiful rejections. And so I had to keep believing in myself. And then, um, at one point we were deciding on a cover for the book and, um, I really were struggling and tried a lot of different, um, illustrators. And I said, well, did you happen to see so-and-so's book that came out her pictures on the cover? And people actually said to me, well, your picture will never be on the cover. No one knows who you are, (laughs) you know? And I thought, well, that's probably true, but why not? And for some reason, I think, because I believed so much in what I was doing, uh, and I realized that a lot of these naysayers, where they do that to a lot of people. It wasn't personal. And so I got to a point where I just started having it all deflect off of me. And sure enough, my, you know, my book came out in the United Kingdom in November. It came out in the U.S. the month before. I was at the New York Book Expo. Wow. Um, and that was so exciting and unexpected. And I have um, been on the Wall Street Journal Live and had quotes in Forbes. And so it's been very exciting. But the initial first year was very difficult. And a lot of people saying, why are you doing that? And it's not going to happen. And I did make it happen. And so I guess one of the messages I'd like to give your, uh, the people that listen to your show is that if I can do it, you can do it. You know, if you are persistent, you dig deep enough, you pick something you're passionate about, it's very possible for you to change your career and change your life. Wow. Be persistent and be passionate. Now, I kind of want to go back because I really, really love that story. I quite liked it when you said that, you know, you had got many rejections, but you still believed in yourself. You still believed in in your book. So I'm interested to know, what was it that kind of helped you forward even after you'd received quite a few rejections? Was there something in particular that kept you going? You know, what was it that internally was helping you overcome that? Well, I wasn't an author. So in terms of some people's perception of me, they were accurate that I had no track record in the world of writing and publishing. On the other hand, I had been working since I was 16 years old And I had been, at that point, I'd had five different major uh, jobs in the career field. And I knew what I was seeing was important and that there was some connection between the uh, type of success, success factors that a lot of people had, there was a commonality there and how many of them had overcome adversity. So I knew there was a story to tell. And basically at one point, To one of the people that was a naysayer, I said, well, you know, if you're not interested, you know, I can't wait three years, but I know I will find someone interested in this, in this story. And the research is so rich. I mean, I learned so much about the type of personalities that are rewarded 
in careers, the type of work styles, the most effective leadership styles. And there was so much statistically significant data that it was hard to know where to start writing. Thank you for sharing that, Jude. Now, I really kind of want to shift a bit to more successes. So I kind of really want you to tell a story of a time within your millionaire journey when you literally felt like this is a dream come true. I'm literally living my dream. I think the moment I felt that the most was when I was in New York City for the launch of my book and my publisher, Nicholas Freely, had asked me if I wanted to be at the New York Book Expo and to be at the New York Book Expo and signing books and talking to all these absolutely wonderful people in line that had their own stories and shared their stories with me was absolutely so exciting. And then the next day I was on Better TV And then the next day I was on the Wall Street Journal Live. And then a month later, I came to my hometown in Minneapolis and was on WCCO and CARE 11 news channels talking about my book. And and, um, my parents and the rest of my family were finally able to see me on TV talking about what I had been doing with writing and research. Wow. (laughs) Amazing story, Jude. Now, kind of going deeper on your research, um, I know from doing some research myself that you spoke to about 160 millionaires and multimillionaires. So I'm quite interested to know from that research, what was kind of some of the most common success habits that these um, successful millionaires had? From a financial perspective, they live beneath their means. So until they get to a very high level, they're not necessarily driving the fancy cars and having the fancy homes. In fact, a lot of the millionaires lived in homes that they remodeled and drove cars, you know, for long periods of time. So they did not live on credit. They saved money. They invested wisely. They had a team of people that were experts that could talk to them about how to invest their money and plan for retirement. In terms of their interpersonal skills, they got to a point where they were comfortable with um, themselves in terms of their strengths and their weaknesses and highly recommended treating people in the workplace with a lot of integrity and being humble and being honest and supporting the people that they supervise and the people they worked with. Um, So the group I interviewed and researched did not get their way by intimidation, even though there Mm -hmm. was, you know, there are people out there that do that. So in terms of their personalities, they really had what was best for the team in mind and what was best for the organization. Um, Slightly more extroverted, um, very flexible and resilient. You know, as I mentioned, and I'm doing some new research now, and I just got the results last week, 20% of the people um, that I have studied, and now I'm up to a group of 310 Uh, either uh, experienced ongoing physical or emotional abuse as children. I know it's higher than than you would think. Another 18% witnessed physical abuse in their home, and another 23% had an alcoholic or drug-abusing family member. And so this is a group of people that on average had two adverse events, but they were very persistent and they kept moving forward. They really see failure as a part of success. And on my bad days, I try to remind myself of that. Um, you know, the, the new research, will it be a book? That's, that's my goal. 
but my main goal is to get the word out there to help other people. Um, as I mentioned, I didn't have a lot of guidance when I was building my career, and I want to give people tips on what to do and what not to do. So in my book, The Millionaire Mystique, which is a book specifically targeted for women, but mm. a lot of great advice from the guys too, what the guys say about the women and what the men have done themselves. But there are some specific tips they recommend. So every chapter has a self-assessment and then some very specific advice on what to do and what not to do. And the new book will be about how to overcome your childhood through having a successful career. Because I believe that having your career um, and, and being in the workplace with a new group of people can really be a way to kind of heal from the past. But you have to be aware of what your triggers are, you know, what things might make you be less than your best self. And so the new book will be about um, being your best self in spite of your childhood history. And when's the, um, the plan to launch that book, Jude? My hope is spring of 2016. We've okay. already started, we've started working on it already in the research I mentioned. I just got in last week and, and I'm working on the chapter about triggers. What triggers you at work? Is it tones of voice, um, the size of a person, their gender, swearing, um, social hour when people are drinking? Know what your triggers are so you can watch for them and make uh, the best choices to be as professional as possible. Mm. Now, one thing I kind of drawed from um, what you've just been speaking about, Jude, is, you know, you said that these successful uh, millionaires that you've spoken to, they've come to a point where they're comfortable with themselves um, and I know you know quite a few women do kind of have this low self-esteem um, not so confident as they should be so do you have any tips on how one can become more comfortable with themselves Yes, I do. And I want to say that in my uh, group of participants that were very successful, um, the women's self-esteem was not any higher than the national norm. Mm -hmm. So even though many of the people I studied are making over $100,000 or have a half a million dollars in the bank, and half of them actually were millionaires or multimillionaires in the most recent study also, um, the women's self-esteem wasn't any better than the norm. And what I attribute wow. that to is, um, um, and, and want to back up a little bit, with the research, the personality styles and work styles of the men and women were very similar. What was different was the amount of household care and child care and taking care of fa uh, sick family members that the women absorb. So I, I can't help but think that, this pull between work and family um, really contributes to a woman's fatigue and her stress level, making it more difficult to feel really good about herself. The other thing is that when I ask the men and the women, is it more difficult for a woman to become professionally and financially successful? Almost all the women said yes. And almost all the men said yes. And so the men and women of these, you know, these men were CEOs of companies, very successful, as were the women. But they basically were very honest. And they said, yes, it is more difficult for women to be a leader, to be professionally successful, and to be financially successful. And then they gave us the reasons why. And they uh, listed reasons such as leaders are still expected to uh, be men. 
Um, women are trying to balance work and family. Um, a lot of uh, men and women don't like to work for women. So they were very honest about their feedback because, you know, it was anonymous. And then they gave recommended steps for women to become more successful. So I think that this problem with self-esteem for women is embedded in our society. We are a part of a very sexist culture. I mean, mm-hmm. if you just look at, you know, the pop singers now and, you know, the um, dresses on, you know, the red carpet for the Oscars. I mean, it's a very, it sexualizes women and there's so much sexism. I think that makes it more difficult for women to feel their true value. And so what do you think a woman can kind of do in order to, uh, to get her to a place where she is more kind of comfortable with her, with herself and in her own skin? There are two very simple things she can do. And some, some of these ideas are outlined in my book, but One thing would be to rewrite your family history. We're drawn naturally to, I think, uh, overthinking bad things that happen in our life. Um, But I would encourage each person to have a journal and to really rewrite their family history. And I did this with my own family, which is how I realized I got so many, many positive characteristics in terms of caring for other people and conscientiousness, industriousness. Um, having a spiritual faith, so many great qualities. And so to really let those things come to the surface. The second thing would be in this journal to also jot down things every day, what you do well, you know, what's, what's unique about you and what you do well, what you did well when maybe your child needed something or, um, and you responded well, even in times of stress or when at work there was a sales presentation and you really responded well or in a crisis with an employee and that you handled it well. It's not going to happen overnight. If you've had a difficult childhood, like a lot of the people I researched, um, it may be a lifetime challenge. And that's why I recommend having a journal that you can come back to periodically and try to write in every day about what are your good characteristics? What do you like about yourself? So in the days you feel good, it'll be easier to find those things. But on the days where you don't feel good about yourself, you can read through it and remind yourself about your unique qualities. Wow. I really, really like that. So just to reiterate, guys, it's rewrite your family history and have a journal and write down what you do well. Write down what you like about yourself. Awesome. Um, And kind of still staying with this same theme. Jude, what do you think is the most valuable lesson you've learned um, throughout your journey? Well, there are so many, but I think a given for me um, is in that how you treat other people is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I, the second thing would be that um, if you're trying, you will have some failures. You will have some bumps in the road, but it shouldn't keep you from pursuing what it is you want to do. And I also don't think that when you're 25, it's easy to necessarily see where you want to be at 50, mm-hmm. but to be open. And so many of the people I studied that were successful are very open to new experiences, new jobs, new internships, new friendships, and they grow. They want to grow. They want to change. And so to let your life unfold and be open to new experiences and also to be watchful. I think one of the things that women and and maybe men too, I haven't studied this specifically with men, but just with women 
is that if you are in a toxic relationship, yes, you can still be successful. But if you're going home at night and you are being verbally berated um, or uh, there's disrespect in your relationship, it's toxic, you will never feel as happy as you eventually can when you're out of a bad relationship. Mm. Powerful stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jude. So now I really want you to tell us some exciting things that you are doing today. What really has you feeling awesome and energized today in terms of your business or you as an individual? Well, I'm in Minnesota for a few weeks on a lake. Oh, wow. (laughs) Kayaking uh, pretty much every day and riding my bike. And that's part of what energizes me and also reconnecting with a lot of my friends that I worked with at Honeywell and United Healthcare. So that, that's been great fun. But I'm so excited about the new research because what it shows is that childhood adversity is common, mm. but it's really, really hard on people. But you still can be successful. And I'm really excited to get that message out to others about how to overcome adversity and to go on and be your best self. I think that there's a really important message there. Yeah. Wow. I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing that when it comes out, Jude. Um, And now we are going on to the next segment of Where Your Dreams. And we're going to go into the triple love round. I'm going to ask you three questions about things you love and why. How does that sound, Jude? That sounds great. (laughs) Awesome. So the first one is a book you love. I just read, uh, well, I guess there's so many. Uh, one book that I love is called The Wizard of Oz and Other Narcissists. And I think in your personal life and your professional life, it's very good to be aware of narcissists and how you can get drawn into their power and their circle. I also just finished uh, Kelly McGonigal's book on stress and why you need it. And she has really redefined stress and how we look at stress and how we can use it to our advantage to be successful. And I thought that was a great book. Awesome. And now a quote you love. The quote that I love the most, which is in uh, my book, uh, is Maya Angelou. And she made a statement similar to that. You can forget what people said to you. You can forget what people did, but you will never forget how they made you feel. Powerful. Thank you. And, And now for the last question, um, an inspirational woman you love? There, there are so many. Um, <laughs> I, I work with uh, the Fresh Start Women's Foundation in Phoenix, Arizona, and we opened a women's center about 12 years ago. And the founders of Fresh Start, Pat Pesnick and Beverly Stewart, are sisters. And what they did is they knew that there weren't services for women, um, for their mothers and their grandmothers. So Phoenix did not have a women's resource center. And so they got the funds together and they started the women's resource center. And we serve over 5,000 new women every year, providing legal services, counseling services, self-esteem classes and educational workshops in general. And so Pat and Bev are two of my heroes. Awesome. 
And guys, you will be able to find all the show notes and information about Jude on our website at bemigirl.com. And that's G-B-E-M-I girl.com. And last but not least, Jude, can you share with us one thing that the Wear Your Dream listeners should do today that will help them achieve their dream of becoming a millionaire girl and living the life that they dream of? Two things came to mind, but one of them is to get right with yourself Mm. and spend that time journaling, meditating, going to therapy, whatever it is you need to do to get over your past and to get straight with yourself. But the other thing is don't live on credit. Live beneath your means. Um, And you let us know how we can get in touch with you and find out a bit more about your business and your other projects that are coming up. I have two websites, judemillerburke.com and also the book website, themillionairemystique.com and the Millionaire Mystique Facebook page. And that has all my radio shows and TV interviews and research that's I've been doing. Amazing. And guys, just to reiterate again, you will find all of this on bemigirl.com. Um, and that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, I'm so grateful for having this conversation with you, Jude. It's been highly inspiring and I'm sure the way your dream listeners have been inspired too. So thanks, Jude, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Alice. I appreciate your time. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Dreamers, thank you for being with us today on Wear Your Dreams. You can find all the show notes as well as cool girl content on bemigirl.com. That's G-B-E-M-I girl.com. We would love to hear from you. So drop us a comment and let us know your thoughts and we will see you next time. And remember, girlies, anything is possible. So wear your dreams. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.